This morning I'll be reading from Revelation chapter 11, beginning with verse 14. John writes, The second woe has passed. Behold, the third woe is soon to come. Then the seventh angel blew his trumpet, and there were loud voices in heaven saying, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. And the 24 elders who sit on their thrones before God fell on their faces and worshiped God, saying, We give thanks to you, Lord God Almighty, who is and who was, for you have taken your great power and begun to reign. The nations raged, but your wrath came, and the time for the dead to be judged, and for rewarding your servants, the prophets and saints, and those who fear your name, both small and great, and for destroying the destroyers of the earth. Then God's temple in heaven was opened, and the ark of his covenant was seen within his temple. There were flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder, an earthquake, and heavy hail. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. The Bible is a book of promises. From the promise of the seed of the woman who would one day crush the head of the serpent in the earliest chapters of Genesis to the covenant refrain of the Bible that he will be our God and that we will be his people. To the promise that Jesus Christ will return in the book of Revelation. The story of redemption is a story that's built around the promise of our faithful God. And what that means for you and me this morning is that the Christian life is one of trusting in that promise. And the great gift of the book of Revelation is that it gives us a glimpse, a vision, a foretaste of what that day will be like when God keeps all of his promises until the very end. And so this morning, as we continue our series through this book, I want you to see the faithfulness of God, that our God is faithful that he has kept every promise in his son, Jesus Christ, and he will fulfill his promise until the last trumpet sounds. This morning, I want to look at this in three ways. Three promises we see fulfilled in Revelation chapter 11. The first is this. I want you to know that the kingdom of Jesus Christ will reign forever and ever and ever. Look with me. Verse 14. It's there in your bulletin or you can get out a Bible. Revelation chapter 11 verse 14. John tells us that the second woe is past and behold the third woe is soon to come. Now this verse is important for us because it helps to reorient us back to where we are in the book of Revelation. And it's easy to lose ourselves in this book. We're in the second series of John's visions. The first series of his visions was a scroll and seven seals being opened. The second series is seven trumpets sounding. John tells us in Revelation 8 
that the last three trumpets will bring three woes. We looked at the first four trumpets in Revelation 8. Then in Revelation 9, we saw trumpets 5 and 6, the first of two woes. And then now after a brief interlude in Revelation 10 and the first part of Revelation 11, finally we are coming to the seventh trumpet. And John is telling us that the third woe is about to come. And so as the last trumpet blows, we would expect that it would bring woe, judgment, and wrath. But that's not what comes. At least not yet. No, as the last trumpet blows, we hear the loud, triumphant sound of joy. Look with me at verse 15. John tells us, then the seventh angel blew his trumpet. And there were loud voices in heaven saying, the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ. And he shall reign forever and ever. The last trumpet is blown in celebration. It's the sound of victory that the kingdom of Jesus Christ has been consummated, that all of the promises of God have been fulfilled, that the second advent of the Lord has finally come. And throughout the New Testament, we're told of what that glorious day will be like when the last trumpet sounds. John wrote of it earlier in Revelation 10. He wrote, in the days of the trumpet call to be sounded by the seventh angel, the mystery of God will be fulfilled. Jesus spoke of the last trumpet in the gospel of Matthew. Matthew 24, verse 30. Jesus said, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with great power and great glory. And he will send out his angels with a loud trumpet call. And they will gather his elect from the four winds, from the one end of heaven to the other. Apostle Paul described the last trumpet this way, 1 Thessalonians. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry, a command, with the voice of an archangel, with the sound of the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first, then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. And listen to what Paul says next. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. And so as the Apostle Paul tells us what it will be like when the last trumpet sounds, when Christ comes again, when he establishes his kingdom once and for all, he says we should encourage each other with these words. Not just be encouraged by them, but he gives us a command. Why? Because as the church of Jesus Christ, as God's people, who find ourselves between the first advent of the Lord and the last, as we face trials and difficulties and grief, as we face loss and disappointment and evil all around us and sin inside of us, we must never forget that Jesus Christ is going to return, that the kingdom is going to come, 
that he will reign and rule and put all things subject underneath his feet. We must be reminded and we must remind one another Jesus Christ has promised to come back and he will keep his promise when the last trumpet sounds. As we hear the dissonant sound of the trumpets of woe in this life, we must never forget that there is still a trumpet to come. And we must never forget that we are living in the midst of a story. In this life, we are living in the midst of the story of redemption, the story of the Bible. And what that means for us is that as we read God's word, we're not just looking back on the past, but we're looking into the future. And here in Revelation chapter 11, John gives us a vision of what our future holds. He tells us how the story will end. Listen again, verse 15. The seventh angel blew his trumpet and there were loud voices in heaven saying the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ. As John hears the last trumpet, he hears all of heaven proclaim the advent of the kingdom of Jesus, that his kingdom has been consummated, that it has finally defeated the evils of this world. That Jesus Christ is victorious. And ever since the fall, humanity has been longing for this day. Whether we know it or not. You see, deep down in every one of us, we long for a world to come. That's why we pursue so many earthly and worldly kingdoms. We're searching for a deliverer, for someone who will come and fix all of the broken things. It's why we build our own little kingdoms and work so hard to make others think that we are kings and queens and worthy of their praise. Deep down and said inside of every human heart is a deep longing for the kingdom of God. A couple weeks ago, we had singer, songwriter, and author Andrew Peterson with us. And at the lecture he gave at lunch, he talked about three of his favorite words. And one of them was sucked. It's a German word. A word that C.S. Lewis used to describe a kind of deep and joyful longing for the kingdom of God. He used it almost as an apologist, as a proof for God's existence. That because as human beings, every one of us longs for something else, a greater kingdom to come, it proves that we were not made for this world. Lewis put it this way in Mere Christianity. He said, most people, if they had really looked into their own hearts, 
would know that they do want and want acutely is something that cannot be had in this world. There are all sorts of things in this world that offer to give it to you, but they never quite keep their promise. If I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. Okay, what is he saying? He's saying we weren't made for the kingdom of this world. With all of its false power and empty promises. No, you and I were made for a kingdom to come. We were made for the kingdom of Jesus Christ. And when the last trumpet sounds, John tells us that all of heaven will proclaim that his kingdom will reign forever and ever and ever. And this morning, I want you to see why this is such good news for us. Because what that means is that the kingdom of Jesus Christ will outlast the kingdoms of this world. His kingdom will outlast human institutions and elections and governments. His kingdom will outlast injustice and genocide and war, whether it's in Ukraine or Gaza. His kingdom will outlast disease and cancer and suffering. It will outlast disappointment, loss, and grief. His kingdom will outlast the kingdoms of darkness, sin, and death. And when the last trumpet sounds, the kingdom of this world will be defeated once and for all. And the kingdom of Jesus Christ will reign forever. And you say, how? How will that happen? How will God do it? That's the second promise I want you to know. The victory of Jesus will be our victory. Look with me at verse 16. John tells us, and then 24 elders who sit on their thrones before God fell on their faces and worshiped God. Ultimately, the loud voices that John hears in his vision when the last trumpet sounds, what he hears is the sound of worship. He hears all of heaven proclaiming the glory of God. And he sees 24 elders fall down in our, in our face, bowing down and worship before the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And we see this time and time and time again in the book of Revelation. In so many ways, Revelation is not simply a book about judgment or wrath or the future. The book of Revelation is about worship. It's about what happens when we see God for who he truly is. As King of kings and Lord of lords. That if you and I really saw the kingship of Jesus Christ... And his power and his dominion and his authority, we could not help but fall face down in worship. You see, I believe that's really our struggle with worship. It's not about style. And not about the right songs. Not even sometimes about our apathy. The question surrounding our worship is this. Do you know who you are worshiping? 
Do you see him for who he is? As the one who is high and lifted up. Just how big is your vision of Jesus? Do you worship him as king? Or have you made Jesus in your own image? Co-opting him to support your own little kingdom. When we see Jesus as king, we fall down on our face and worship. And I want you to hear the song that they sing. Verse 17. We give thanks to you, Lord God Almighty, who is and who was, for you have taken your great power and begun to reign. The nations raged, but your wrath came, and the time for the dead to be judged, and for rewarding your servants, the prophets and saints, and those who fear your name, both small and great, and for destroying the destroyers of the earth. This is a fulfillment of Psalm 2. If you have a Bible, I want you to turn to Psalm 2. If you don't have one, I want you to just listen. Listen for the similarities between Revelation 11 and Psalm 2. Psalm 2 verse 1. The psalmist asks, Why did the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed saying, let us burst their barns apart and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury saying, as for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy Do you see the parallels? Revelation 11, the song that the 24 elders sang at the last trumpet in Psalm 2. In Psalm 2, the psalmist laments. He asks, why do the nations rage? The people's plot. All of the rulers of this earth set themselves against the kingship and authority of God. I wonder, have you ever asked those questions? Have you ever lamented over the rage of the nations in our world? Have you ever lamented of the rage in our own nation? Lamented the rulers of this earthly place and the way they seem to have set themselves against God and his authority and his truth. Have you ever lamented why all of the peoples around us seem to be corrupted and confused and given to chaos? The psalmist reminds us this is nothing new. But he also reminds us where we find our hope. See, as much as the psalmist laments, he also considers the sovereign authority of God. And as he envisions God on his throne, do you know what God is doing as the nations rage and the rulers plot? He's laughing. He's laughing at all of the strife and striving that our earthly 
kings trying to build their own earthly power. And our sovereign God laughs because he holds all things together. And he is working all things for good of those who love him. And one day he will pour out his judgment and set his king on his holy hill. And the book of Revelation and the song that the elders sing, they see this reality, this promise fulfilled. That Jesus Christ and his kingdom has come in its fullness that the nations of the world are now subject to his feet, that his kingdom reigns over all things. And look at this, verse 18, that he will destroy the destroyers of the earth. That is awesome. But what does it mean? When the last trumpet sounds, and the kingdom of Jesus Christ comes in its fullness. Jesus will defeat every enemy of God and his church. Everyone and everything that sets itself against the kingdom of God will be destroyed. Apostle Paul tells us what this will be like. 1 Corinthians 15 verse 22. For as in Adam all die... So also in Christ shall all be made alive, but each in his own order. Christ, the firstfruits. Then at his coming, those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and every power for he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. When Christ comes again at the sound of the last trumpet, all of his enemies will be put under his feet. He will defeat every ruler and every principality and every power of the kingdom of darkness once and for all. Not only that, but the apostle Paul continues and he says the last enemy to be destroyed is death. And so if you hear all this and you say, well, how could any of this be true? Because right now it doesn't feel like we're winning. And so much in this Christian life feels like loss and hardship. How can we trust that these words and these promises are true? Because Jesus Christ died and he rose again. And when he did, he conquered death. And when he comes again, he will conquer death once and for all. And if he can conquer our greatest enemy, death itself, then every other enemy will be conquered in due time. Apostle Paul continues, verse 51. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we will be changed in a moment. In the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we shall be changed. 
For this perishable body must put on the imperishable. This mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass, listen, death is swallowed up in victory. Jesus Christ is not only our king, he is our hero. He is the warrior who's gone before us. The one who leads us into every battle. And what John sees in Revelation 11 is the day when he will win the war once and for all. And his victory is our victory. And as surely as our sin was there on the cross when Jesus died in our place. As we are united to Jesus when he rose... We rose with him. And one day when he comes again, his ultimate victory will be ours when the last trumpet sounds. All of this, these promises, all lead to one final truth. One final promise that I want you to hear this morning, and it's this, that God's covenant promises will be fulfilled in Jesus Christ. I want you to look with me at verse 19. Then in John's vision, he sees God's temple in heaven was opened and the ark of the covenant was seen within his temple. And there were flashes of lightning and rumbles and peals of thunder and earthquake and heavy hail. Now, if you were with us last week, we looked at the first half of Revelation chapter 11 and John's vision of the temple. And we saw that what John envisioned was not a temple made with stone and brick, but what he envisioned was the temple of God in the church, the body of Christ. Jesus himself spoke of the temple this way in the gospel of John. This is John 2 verse 18. Jews came to Jesus. They said, what sign do you show us for doing these things? And Jesus answered them, destroy this temple. And in three days, I'll raise it up. And then the Jews said, well, it's taken 46 years to build this temple. And you'll raise it up in three days. But he was speaking about the temple of his body. Now, this is why. The church as the body of Christ is so profound. That we are the living temple of God. We are the body of Christ. We are the church. And so as John in Revelation 11 sees this vision of a temple, he doesn't see a building, he sees a people. And what he sees is the church come into its fullness. A church that has been rebuilt for generations and generations. A church that Christ is building as he gathers every tribe and tongue and nation. What John sees is a church that is finished and made ready for the bridegroom to come. So as John sees the church... Gathered together, he sees her doors open wide. And there inside, what does he see? 
he sees the Ark of the Covenant. And as he sees the Ark, he he hears thunder and sees lightning and there's an earthquake. I'll never forget as a young boy the first time I saw Raiders of the Lost Ark. Have you seen it? You know that scene towards the end where the Nazis have control of the ark and they decide to open it? And finally, all that they've wanted with the ark and all of its power to help them accomplish, to establish their own earthly kingdom, they finally come to that moment where they open the ark. And as they open the ark, judgment comes out and their faces melt. Do you know the scene? You can't unsee that kind of thing. So if you saw it, you would know. Ever since then, I can't help every time I read about the ark in the Bible, I can't help but think about Raiders of the Lost Ark. And so as we hear John's vision in Revelation 11, with the ark in the midst of the temple, with lightning and thunder and an earthquake, we wonder, is that what's going on here? But you see, in the Bible, the ark is not simply a symbol of God's judgment and wrath. No, in the Bible, the ark is a symbol for his covenant promise. Look with me. Revelation eleven nineteen. notice what it says. As John looks at the temple and its doors open wide, what does he see in the midst of the people? The ark of his covenant. When the last trumpet blows... And John sees the church who Jesus promised the Apostle Peter would prevail. That the gates of hell would not prevail against her. When he sees the church and all of her splendor presented before the coming Christ, he sees the ark and all of God's covenant promises to her fulfilled. You see, inside the ark is the law. God's covenant law. All of his standards, all of his instructions of what it means to live as human beings made in his image and all the ways that it stands as a mirror for us to show us all the ways that we fall short. But you see, on top of the ark is the mercy seat. It's that place where the high priest would go to sprinkle blood, to make atonement for the sins of the people. And so when the last trumpet sounds and John sees the church, he sees the covenant promises of God fulfilled in Jesus. The one who came not to destroy the law, but to fulfill it. The one who came to offer as our great high priest, not the blood of bulls and goats, but his own precious blood. When he gave his life for you and me on the cross and rose again to conquer sin and death. Every promise of God has been fulfilled in Christ Jesus and one day it will be fulfilled completely when the last trumpet sounds. And so as we go from here, we're left with a nagging question. Maybe it's a question you've been asking 
over the last 30 minutes? It's the question that we ask as we hear the promises of God. And as we hear that one day Christ will come again to make all things new. It's a question that as we wrestle with every grief and every heartache and every disappointment and every loss, as we hear the promises of God, we ask with the psalmist, how long, O Lord? As we hear this promise that Christ will come again, we ask, how long? How long will it be? As we long in our hearts for that same kind of longing that C.S. Lewis talked about for the coming kingdom of God, we wonder why does it then seem so far off? We must never forget Christ has promised to come again and he keeps his promises, but we must also never forget that he is with us here and now. You see, because surely as we are waiting and longing for the coming kingdom of God, we must never forget the words of Jesus when he said the kingdom of God is here. It is now. And as we wait for the coming kingdom to come in its fullness, we must also recognize and proclaim that Jesus is on the throne now. And as we look to the future, we stand firmly in the present, trusting not only in the future coming, but he reigns and rules over all things as King of kings and Lord of lords. Theologians call this the already and the not yet. That's a helpful paradigm that was first developed by, by Gerhardus Voss. And it's this helpful truth that as we wait for the promise of the kingdom to come, we already have the kingdom here with us now. And this is helpful for us because it not only tells us how the story ends, it tells us where we are in the story. The kingdom of Jesus was inaugurated with his incarnation, death, resurrection, and ascension. Our ascended Savior now reigns and rules over all things, and one day he will come again when the last trumpet sounds to bring his kingdom once and for all. And so where are we? Where are we in that story? Well, in so many ways, we are at the beginning of the end. We are in the last days, the days of the kingdom of Jesus. But in other ways, we're on the edge of only the beginning. See, because in John's vision, he tells us that his kingdom will reign forever and ever and ever. And as the people of God waiting for his kingdom to come, we are waiting on the edge of eternity. And so we wait. We wait with hope, but we also wait with great anticipation. 
as C.S. Lewis put, this time not in mere Christianity, but in the last paragraph of the final book of the Chronicles of Narnia. And for us, this is the end of all the stories. And we can most truly say that they all lived happily ever after. But for them, it was only the beginning of the real story. All their life in this world and all their adventures in Narnia had only been the cover and the title page. And now at last they were beginning chapter one of the great story, which no one on earth has read, which goes on forever, and which every chapter is better than the one before. And so friends, take courage. There is another trumpet to come. And when it blows, Jesus will come and bring the fullness of his kingdom to earth as it is in heaven. He will fulfill every promise and he will make all things new. Let's pray, Father in heaven. Would you now work to establish your kingdom in our hearts that you would reign and rule over us. And as you reign and rule over us, that even now you would move us to worship to proclaim your kingdom, to extend it in Dallas and to the world, longing for the day when you, Christ, will come again to establish your kingdom once and for all. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Let's